All right, well, uh, as you know, we have been preaching through uh, 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter. It's one of the last letters uh, in the Bible. Uh, and we're turning to page uh, 1014 again today. 1014 and 1 Peter, we're in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start picking up steam a little bit here. And uh, the today's sermon is called The Author of Living Hope, Receiving Grace, and Blessing God. Isn't that idea of living hope there? I'm looking at that comes out of the text. It's in verse 3, which we're going to look at today. And um, I want to show you something real quick. So, one more time, you turn to page 1014. So, as you find in that, 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's go ahead and go to the other slide real quick. I just want to show you what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Okay, so uh, as we're looking at this, we're really going to break down a lot about living hope. That's what this letter's about. And after we've looked at the introduction, we're getting into the meat and potatoes of things here starting today. Really, really beautiful things. And we're going to talk a lot about living hope and what it means next week. I'm saving that for the next sermon. Uh, but we're already starting to get into this. So I'm just showing you. You see these uh, verses over here on the side? So that's basically the outline of how this part of the Bible is broken up. These are the topics that we're going to talk about. Uh, the, this week is that we're going to talk about the author of living hope, God. And next week we're going to start talking about the beginning and the pattern of living hope, what it means to be born again. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the destination of our living hope. Do you know what that is? It's in the text, in those verses. It's heaven. And we're going to learn about what that means. All right? And uh, then we're going to learn about the outcome of our living hope. It says in the text that that's the salvation of our souls. We're going to learn a lot about what that means. And then we're going to learn about the trials and the result of living hope. What it means to really have this kind of abiding living hope in Christ in our lives in the midst of very, very difficult things. Because that's what this letter is about. And then we're going to learn a little bit in verses 10 to 12 there about the handbook of living hope. The Bible. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And right now we're going to start learning some great things about God today, the author of our living hope. Can you go back up a slide and we'll stay there for the rest of the day? I showed you that because uh, today I want to read a little more than we're going to look at to get context. Have you ever hear Christians say that they're doing something for context and you're wondering what in the world does that mean? It means we're going to look at the words above and below the ones we're going to focus on so we understand what they're, how they fit into the broader thing that's being said. Okay, I'm going to read verses 1 uh, through 9 today, but we're just looking at the end of 2 and the beginning of 3. Put your eyes there real quick. What is the end of verse 2? It starts with the word may. Do you see it there? May grace and peace That's right. Yeah, and then the very first sentence in verse 3, what's that? Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our sermon today. But we're going to look at what comes around it. Are you ready? I'm going to read the words of God now. All right, here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through Him, or though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. God, this is a sermon about grace, about receiving your grace. This is a sermon about peace, receiving a real state in our heart of knowing that things are going to be okay and that you're with us and that you're helping us and that you have a plan. God, I pray that we receive that grace right now. I believe, you, I believe you'll give it to us, God. I think it's a real thing that you can give to us, a real enabling power that transforms our life and helps us. God, help us, help these scriptures to come alive to us this morning. God, we're tired and there's not many people here today. It's very, very tempting to sort of not expect much right now. We're all very, very normal people in a very, very normal room. What's different here, what's special is you, and you are here. And God, I pray right now that we will experience you and come to see you better than we did walking in the door. God, I pray that we will get to know you more deeply than it would have been possible if we hadn't opened up your word, looked at what you had to say, and banked on it. Help us, God. Help us to expect a lot from you right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want you to look again at the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. Two sentences. That's our sermon for today. Okay? What was the first sentence again? May grace and peace be multiplied. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And what is the other sentence? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yep, and I know that that blessed be, uh, we don't necessarily normally talk that way. You may not even really understand what that means. That's why we're going to have a sermon today. But the first thing I want you to see about this is that there's motion happening, okay? There's motion happening in two directions. If you've got us here, because it said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You. We've talked about what it means that Peter's originally writing to people a long time ago, but he's writing to the church. It's for us too. So you, go ahead and think you today, us, okay? There's grace and peace going somewhere, from somewhere to somewhere. It's coming from God. It's not coming from Peter. It's coming from God. He's a person that's alive, and there's grace and peace coming from him, multiplying, going to us if we believe in Jesus. That's half of what's going on right here. Do you see it? Do you see the motion happening? There's, there's a transaction taking place. There's God here and there's us here. Something's coming from God to us. Here, let's turn it this way. There's something coming from God to you. That's either real or not. It's either really the Word of God or not. Right? If there's something coming to us and it's grace and it's peace multiplying Man, what does that mean and why is it good? 
That's half of what's going on here. Do you see what the other half is? There's more motion happening. What else is going on? Take a look. What is it? Blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be. There's a, there's a blessing coming. There's a blessing. What is a blessing? A gift. A gift. Okay, good. That's well said. Yes, I think that's right. A gift. That, sometimes that's what it is. That's right. Uh, in this case, it has a little bit more the idea of a thankfulness, a praise. I did not plan the fact that it turns out it's Thanksgiving this week. I, it doesn't do any good to do a Thanksgiving sermon next week because Thanksgiving will be three days over. So it's, it's, this is Thanksgiving week, right? I didn't plan it at all, but I realized a couple days ago, this text is about Thanksgiving coming from us to God. Us going to God. That's what that means. Blessed be God. Praise Him. That's basically what it means. Look up that word. Uh, sometimes it translated blessing. You could. It's the same word if you were going to translate it praise. If you were going to translate it, you know, extol or some other crazy old old English word that nobody uses anymore because nobody does this anymore, pretty much. But we're supposed to praise God. There are there's two directions happening here. Okay. There's something coming from God to us, and there's something coming from us back to God. And that's what the sermon's about today. Okay? So I'm hoping as I'm starting to do this week after week, you're starting to see that on one level, it feels silly to have a sermon on like a verse or a half of a verse, and it seems like you're going slow. It is going to pick up steam as we get going forward, because when we lay a foundation, you can move faster. But... Actually, it's really beneficial to go slow and think real hard about what we're looking at. Because if I just ask you, because looking at the text, here's what we have today. We need to know what grace is and think about grace, right? That's the first, second word there, make grace. And then we're going to need to learn about what it means to have peace. What is that? Are we talking about no war? What is that right there? And we need to, what's the word after that? I guess it'd be two words. Be multiplied. Be multiplied. What is that? Grow. Okay. Yes. Right. So we're going to learn. Uh, we're going to learn about what this means to have grace multiplied, to have peace multiplied to us. And then we're going to turn around. We're going to learn some things about what it means to have blessing going to God. Also, why does it say, "Blessed be"? How does it end? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does it say it like that? Is there anything there? Is it random? Or does it mean something? All right, that's what we're doing, okay? So I'm just going to take them one at a time. I'm going to think about these things and see if it doesn't help us a great deal because it's the very words of God, all right? That's plenty for one day, I think. Let's start with grace. Are you ready? Or specifically, not just grace, grace and peace. Uh, I see why you did that, but that's not what I'm looking for. Grace multiplied. That's what it says. May grace be multiplied to you. May peace be multiplied to you. That's what it says. Right? Easy to disconnect multiplication from grace there, but that's the idea. They, they're both being multiplied to you. Alright, let's start with grace, and let's just start by defining what it is. Better know what we're talking about. What does the word grace mean? It's kodos in Greek, or in Greek, but it's just we just say grace, right? What does it mean? 
unmerited favor. Okay. Somewhere along the way, Christians over the last hundred years have learned to memorize grace means unmerited favor. And I know that most people that I hear say that don't um, use the word unmerited in any other context, so I know that they're repeating something they've heard. And in this case, I think, well, I think, I'm not picking on you, I think that's a good definition. Unmerited or unearned favor. You, that you get something you don't Deserve. Deserve. And that's right at the heart of grace. That's right. It's the first of the two definitions that you need to memorize for grace. There are really two main things going on with grace. And the first one, which is wildly awesome and important, is that God, remember he's over here, gives something to you and you didn't deserve it. Didn't earn it. When it came to you, it didn't come to you because you're good. It didn't come to you because you behave well. It didn't come to you because you did a great job. It didn't come to you because you came to church and somebody else didn't. It didn't come to you for anything in you. There's a reason it came. And if you want to find out what the reason is, you have to look outside of self. It's somewhere else. It isn't in you. There's a reason and you aren't it that it came. What is it? What is the gift? Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm riffing here. But what is the reason it came to you? If it isn't, if you can't find the reason in you, the reason must be outside of you in God. I don't know how better to say it. There's a, there's a reason that you get something that you don't deserve from God, and the reason is God. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay? It, that's good. Right? Why is it? What, what does that tell us about God? The, remember the, the author of our living hope. That he's merciful. Yeah. It tells us something great about him. It tells, him, it tells us he's merciful. Do you remember last week? I know that we had a tornado and it affected completing the sermon last week. I didn't get to wrap up some messy stuff that we had going on. We were trying to learn about the Trinity. But do you remember what we learned about God the Father? It's in the text if you forget. What does it say in verse 2? He has foreknowledge. And we remember that we said that, that that idea of knowledge there isn't just head knowledge. It's the word know like Adam knew his wife Eve. It's an intimate love that happens before you're born. It's the kind of love that a parent should have for their children. It is a love that is not on any level based on the kid's behavior or performance. If I love my little 12-week-old because he does a good job of being a 12-week-old and don't love him when he doesn't, I am a miserably bad parent. It doesn't work that way. He, before he even was born, I've been waiting for him to come for 30-some-odd years, and I loved him before I ever saw him. How much more God who does see us, does know us before we were born? before we exist, right? So I'm just saying, grace is a great thing from God to us that we do nothing to cause to happen at all. It, it's a gift. Isn't that cool? You're right when you said gift earlier. That's right. Okay, good. That's the first definition of grace. And you want to hold it in your head, and it's not the main definition we're looking at here. But it's still true in a part of it. There's another meaning for the word grace that's oftentimes what we're talking about in the Bible. What is it? Do you know? 
I say grace to you. What's coming from God to you? Yes, you don't deserve it. It's, in other words, the reason it's coming to you isn't because isn't you're good. You don't deserve it. But what is coming to you if grace is coming to you? Forgiveness. Okay. It does oftentimes have forgiveness. Forgiveness comes with it. Um, but that's not the main thing I'm looking for. It was a good guess. Okay. Love comes to you. Yes. But that's not the main definition of grace. But it's something from God? It is from Him. Okay, it's okay. It's okay if nobody gets it. Those things are from God and they come to us, but they're not exactly what grace is. Okay, they're good things. Grace is an enabling power. Grace is the power from God that you need to be what He calls you to be. That's what grace is. And oftentimes in the Bible, that's what we're talking about. It is appropriate to think about power from God. Power to do what? What does God want you to do? To love and accept Him. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a big list, right? There's a lot here. Yes, to love and accept Him, that's true. That's part of it. And in fact, in context, in the, in the same verse, in verse 2, what does it say in verse 2 we're supposed to do? Oh. Okay. It, yeah, the word is obedience. The word is obey. So I know, that, I know that I didn't get to finish last week, but let's hear it again. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. If I had got to finish the sermon last week, it would have ended like this. Here it is. Look at this God. Look at how great He is. He, first of all, He's three persons, and that's crazy already. But we know that what, at the very least, that means that He is love, and He has love. And he has love toward us that began long before us. And he's got this great plan, this plan that he picked and he's inviting us into. He's going to teach us how to learn to love to obey Jesus. And we're so bad at it that he's going to do everything it takes to make us good at it. And in verse 2, at the end of that sentence, it sprinkles us with his blood, which is a metaphor that means all the forgiveness that Jesus earned for us applied to us experientially over and over again. We only need it once to give us forgiveness for our sins, but we need to remember it over and over again to maintain a real relationship with Him, right? It's a beautiful thing that God picked, that God thought of. We didn't pick it up. It's all a free gift of grace. And so here, continuing the idea... When he says, that, because he basically opens the letter and in a really compact summary form says, here's what you need to know about who you are and what your life is. You're about God, for God, for God's purposes. It will include obeying Jesus. And then immediately, like every human being, you hear that and you're like, uh, that wasn't my plan. Uh, I'm not even very good at doing that. Uh, do I belong here? Should I leave? Right? Because we're not good at obeying Jesus. So very next thing he has to say is what? Grace to you. Grace to you. Multiplied. God is going to give you the power that you need to learn to love to obey him. He's going to do it. He's going to give you all the power you need for life change. It's coming. And folks, that's what this next paragraph is about. That's what it's all about. 
That's what we're going to learn about. We're going to learn about the process where God teaches us to learn to love, to obey Him through hard things. And it's difficult. And we can do it by the grace of God through Jesus. It's really cool. So it, yes, it's not deserved. We don't deserve to get to have a relationship with God. I know it sounds crazy to say, but we don't actually deserve to obey God. We don't deserve anything from Him. But because He loves us, He wants us to come in to the right kind of relationship with Him. I'm going to say so much more about that part of things in the weeks ahead. I'm moving on. But I want you to see grace here. Okay, The fact that God is going to send power to you to be everything He calls you to be. And you know it shouldn't be so surprising. If He can make universes, He can make you what He wants you to be. If He can raise the dead, He can make you what He wants you to be. If He can think you up before the foundation of the world and bring you into existence because you don't know anybody else that can. Your parents did not make you. They didn't think you up. They didn't even know what color your hair was going to be until you showed up. They didn't make you. Only God makes you. And it takes this power from God that we don't deserve but get called grace. Grace. Do you see it? I, I've used this metaphor before, but it's the best one I ever heard. It means a lot to me. Close your eyes. To me, this is helpful. You want to think about grace from God like a river. It's like you're standing at the bottom of Niagara Falls. There is this huge, huge thrusting river of, of water coming at you, and the water is God's grace. There's so much of it, it's just ripping in your direction, spreading all around you in every way, and it's powerful, but you don't have to be afraid because it's from God. And that river, the water is coming backwards from its source. And the source is God. And there is no beginning to this river. The great thing about this river that you're seeing, which is this incredible power from God coming to you for you, is that He's never going to run out. He doesn't have a limited supply where if He gives you some now, He's going to run out eventually and then He can't give somebody else or He can't do it later. This river has no beginning. Power from God to be everything He wants you to be and you didn't earn it. So He can just give it to you freely. It came from Him. Open your eyes. That's, it's real. It, that's, that's basically the point for today. That's either real or not. And I think we live like we don't think that's real. We don't really think God will give us the power, the grace from Him to do what He wants us to do. To change and to become what He wants us to be. To endure through the hard things that He brings in life. We don't really think it's there. We don't think about this great river, this great power from God to make us everything we were made to be. Oh, and we should. And so Peter wants us to hear this. He wants us to start here. Hey, this is for you. What would your life be like if every single thing that God wants to be there, you got the power from God to do it? Remember, you don't have it. I'm not saying you can do it by yourself. I'm not saying you're good. I'm not saying you're powerful. I'm saying God is good and God is powerful. And because He loves you, He's chosen to bestow these things upon you so that they become yours as a gift. What would it be like? You know, what would our sex life be like? How would it change? What would our marriage be like? How would it change? What would our relationships with our children be like? What would our relationships with our, our, our loved ones, our, our bosses? It would be different if in the moment when we feel like, I can't do it. I don't want to deal with this person anymore. I can't do it. I'm too weak. 
we remember God's grace. We remember, no, that's right, I can't. That's called confession. But He will make me able. That's also called confession of faith. Right? Grace to you, church. Grace to you in ministry. In, in all the different things that He's calling us to do. In getting to know each other. Like, for, I'm not going to put it on the spot, but we got a new guy here today. And there's always new folks coming around, right? So he is going to feel awkward sometimes because he feels like there are other people around and they all know each other and he doesn't know them. So he'll feel like an outsider, right? It's hard to push through that to where the relationship gets deeper. But everybody here, all of whom is relatively new, you know, uh, including me, I mean, we haven't been doing this that long, as we've pushed through that, and remember, God will help us, the relationship deepens, right? Grace to us. Now, we learned what it means. It's enabling power, and that we don't earn it. We've learned that it's coming to us with our problems, our weakness. What does it mean that it's multiplied? What does it mean for God to multiply His grace to us? That He makes it increase. Yes. That's right. It, it, again, that's why I'm trying to say it's like, a, it's like a river that's a torrent that's coming at you. You can't stop this. His grace is so powerful, it's ultimately going to fix the entire world. That's how powerful it is. It's the kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead, which if you look carefully is how verse 3 ends. He wants you to have that kind of power in your head. Think about the power involved in taking a totally permanently, legitimately dead body, now it pulses, now it has life, now it's real again, it's alive. It's a real person who is dead. Grace, power from God that we don't deserve. It's awesome. He wants us to know that we can have that. You know, it, when, you're, when you're living out of that, things really do change. A silly metaphor that I was thinking about, but maybe it helps a little bit. You ever gone to uh, an airport where they've got, it's not an escalator that takes you up, but it operates like one. Instead, it's like a moving sidewalk. You ever, you ever seen the moving sidewalk at the airport? It's got to be something like that. When you're depending upon and experiencing God's grace, you're still doing what you do, but it's, there's just more happening. It just gets you further. He's there and He's helping you. You're, I don't know if it's Eric at work or whatever it is, but what it, when you're doing the things that you need to do and you're experiencing God's grace, you're doing it, but you're getting more bang for your buck because He's there and He's helping you, right? Now, there's two things that you can do on one of those things. And I've done both. If you're, if you're at the airport and you have time to kill and you get to the walking sidewalk for you thing, right, then you uh, go ahead and practice laziness and you just stand there and you don't actually have to walk where you're going and it takes care of it for you. They got a little line painted in the middle because about half the people want to do that. They're supposed to stand on this side. They don't, but they're supposed to, right? Why do they have to stand on that side? Other people are walking. Because there's other people and they're running because they're about to miss the plane. You don't want to block them. They got to run. But they use the same thing, right? Because it helps them to get where they're going faster. Now, both of these are legitimate things to do with grace. There are times when it's okay that God is God for us and we're not God. And the thing that we need to hear is, hey, let go. You don't have to do everything perfect. God is going to help you. He's going to take care of you. Maybe you just need to stand and let God get you where He's going. And then there are times when what we need to hear is, the great thing about His grace is, it can help you to run faster. Now run. Go at life. Go 
If he's going to help you to finally get done with your college and you're still five or six years out, act on it today. Go. Run. If your relationships with other people are terrible and you need to make it better, he's going to help you. He's going to give you power. Go after it. Don't just stand around. But both of those can be legitimate ways to trust God for His grace. Do you see what I'm saying? The fact that we don't earn real power that's a real thing from Him to us multiplies. The next thing that He promises us is peace. Now in the 60s, everybody loved that word. And I didn't really know quite what they are using it for, but everybody did this. Peace, right? Okay, now is this what this is talking about? Is this, does this mean in the war? Yes and no. Ultimately, no. That's not the main point. Um, now, now, you know, they're using a basic greeting in a letter. It's a real letter written a long time ago, and he's using the conventions of a letter. So if I was writing a letter, I, I could easily write a letter uh, to whom... Danny, fall asleep. And I love you, and I know you don't want to. Stand up for a second. I'm not embarrassing you. I do it all the time. That was algebra for me for years. I never could make it through. I never did pass. All right, anyway. Uh, it gets, gets tired sitting there when life's hard. So anyway... Um, Peace. Where was I going with this? You're writing a letter. Right. If you're writing a letter, okay, and you start the letter, to whom it may concern, nobody even really pays a lot of attention to that. They don't carefully analyze each word. It's a throwaway phrase that means I'm starting the letter now and it's going to any old body, right? You don't, you don't, really, you don't really analyze each word carefully because it's a throwaway greeting. But what if I started the letter, to whom it definitely concerns? Well, I don't know what's going to come next, but it got my attention, okay? Because I, I tweaked it. I played with it a little bit to get something out of it that's supposed to get your attention. I'm using the same old greeting everybody uses, but I'm messing with it a little bit to get your attention, right? Okay, and that's what's going on in these New Testament letters. People did start their letters with something really similar to this, but the Christians, when they wrote these letters that are now our New Testament, that, from, that are from God, they tweaked it. They played with it a little bit to get your attention. Original readers would recognize it, okay? And so um, he's, he does want us to look carefully at what he's saying. That's what I'm trying to say. And so it was appropriate then to offer people peace, but it was a throwaway phrase. It didn't really mean anything. But when these guys are doing it, there's a background to it. And it's in the Old Testament, and it's called Shalom. Shalom. It's a Hebrew word. Let's say it with me. Shalom. 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 That word, the accent of the second syllable, shalom. That word means peace. That would be a fair way to say it in English, but it means so much more. It is, it is a beautiful thing. Shalom is basically God's, in the New Testament, we call it the kingdom of God. Okay? The kingdom of heaven. Who's the king of the kingdom of heaven? God. Jesus, actually. Right? We sang about that. These kids were up here learning about Jesus reigning, right? Yeah, so the idea is that when God fixes the world and makes everything, it makes everything right. That there's a, a world coming, and it's not here yet, but we can taste it. We can glimpse it. We can begin to experience it now. There is a world coming where all of the pain of life, all of the struggle of life that produces no, no good result in the end is gone. It, it, you, have to, you have to put like 30 words together to get what they're really trying to say when they say peace. It has the idea of wellness and wholeness and yes, no war and right relationships and blessing like, um, like 
uh, not poverty, right? Uh, it has the idea of right relationships, things getting totally fixed. It's, it's like the first day of spring when you finally hear all the birds and they're just tw uh, tweeting away and everything's all of a sudden green. And it wasn't that way just a week ago. That, that It still looked uh, miserable outside from four months of snow and cold weather. And all of a sudden you look around and the flowers are blooming and everything is just right with the world. Shalom, peace to you. Multiplied is the idea that God is promising that he's going to make things right worldwide and yes, in you, in your heart. This is the plan. This is the plan. The stuff that's in verse uh, 3 to 9, okay, that we're going to look at over the next couple weeks, that's where the plan's going. At one point it calls it heaven. At another point it calls it salvation. At another point it calls it resurrection, okay? And that's what it is. It's things fixed. God swears he's going to do it. He's going to fix things. And what he's saying for Christians is, even though a lot of this is still future, I'm promising it, it's coming. Is God lying? Is the thing we wrestle with. Did God forget? How come it's not here? We wrestle with this stuff. But he's saying it's coming, and in a measure, you can have it now. In a measure. To a certain extent, you can experience this now, even though you're surrounded by other people who aren't, and don't believe it's real, and don't know anything about it. Their head isn't there at all. You can be living out of that future now, in a real way. And it will you will like it. And a fair way to describe it is, Peace multiplied. Before I was a Christian, which, you know, for it was 20-something years, uh, seems like a long time ago now, but I, I still remember one of the things that I hated most about my life, one of the reasons why I was so bitter, I was so cynical, I was so miserable, I was a drunk, I did uh, try to kill myself several times and get really, really close to doing it, um, was I... And I didn't, I didn't know how to talk about it then, but looking back on it, I just really had a sense that things were just not right. Something's just wrong. And I, I, I had different theories about what was wrong and tried to fix it, but I, it didn't ever really work. But it, it, I just knew something wasn't right. I'll give you a couple of examples. that are, I, They work for me. I don't know. When I was a kid, I grew up in a home that was a really loving, good home. I had great parents that treated me well. And I know not everybody that's their background, but that was mine. I grew up in this kind of bubble where they treated me with love and respect. And if I had questions, they'd answer my questions. And they taught me to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And they didn't have to beat me to do it. It seemed appropriate. It was okay. I respected and loved them, and they respected and loved me. It was great. I went to school in the first grade. I didn't, I didn't go to kindergarten, by the way. I went to school in the first grade, and I went to this school, and I... It was like the first day of uh, the saddest period of my life. I went. I started being around these other kids, and I was excited because I wanted kids to play with, okay? And they would just treat me like crap, and they would treat each other like crap, and they would treat the teacher like crap. People would say terrible things to and about the teachers, and I, like, um, they would uh, treat each other mean, and I'm talking about little kids, you know? And, and as we'd get older, it was more of the same, and it would get worse. And the point of this story isn't that I'm morally pure and everybody else is wicked and everybody should be more like me when I was a boy. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that for that reason, because I had a little environment of peace. I had a little environment of things being right in some ways in my childhood and then got put out into the big bad world. I was able to see this isn't right. 
The, the way that people treat each other is screwed up. Something's wrong. But our, and our whole world is deeply messed up. And, it, and the more you grow as a Christian, in some ways you'll see it more clearly. You'll be able to articulate it and talk about it more clearly. What's wrong with human sexuality exactly and the ways that we use it wrong? You'll get better at understanding it, but, but it's wrong. It's messed up. Not because sex is wrong, because it's been messed up. It's been damaged. We use it for wrong purposes. What, what is wrong with the way that our governmental system works? Well, lots of people that aren't Christians have theories about it, okay? And some of them might even be right in some ways. But anybody can look at the way our government works and says, this thing is cursed. It's damaged. Something's wrong. Things are not right. God is going to make everything right. And a fair way to call it, summarizing what it's all like when he fixes it so that the thing's humming right. Everything's working properly. Relationships, our bodies, the world, the cosmos, relationships between individual people and their God is peace, shalom. And God, there's something coming from God and it's going to you if you believe in Jesus and it's wonderful and you don't deserve it and along with the power to change is the promise from God that it's going to get somewhere, that it's going to work, that in the long run, what you're going to have is the world right again. It won't be like an engine running on the wrong fuel anymore, trying to run on sugar. You run an engine on sugar for about two, three minutes, and you've got a former engine. And that's where our world's at right now. But he's going to give us the right fuel. It's grace from God, and it's going to work in the long run. We're going to be changed if we believe in Jesus. Grace to you, multiplied. Peace to you, multiplied, he says. Multiplied. What does that mean again? What does it mean for peace, shalom, welfare, to be multiplied to us? What does it mean? I don't know, but it's really good. I think Peter, the guy that wrote this, got to see a little of it. I think he got to see some things about what this means. And I don't think he was looking for any of it. I think it was a lesson for him, just like this is a lesson for us. Nobody walked into this room with the agenda of having a discussion about this today. It's not even on our radar, okay? It's a lesson that God says, here, look here today. You'll be better for it. Well, Peter spent about three years with this same God. His name is Jesus. And he learned a few things about grace being multiplied, about peace being multiplied. Remember the story of the loaves? The loaves? What was the story of the loaves? It's in the Gospels. What happened? He fed 500 with a couple loaves of bread and a few fish. Yeah, 5,000. That's right. 5, yeah, that's right. Jesus took a piece of bread and a few fish or something like that. I guess it was a fish and a few pieces of bread. Okay? And what did he do with it? He multiplied it. He multiplied it. That's exactly what he did with it. And what was the net result of that? It fed people, right? There were leftovers. There were leftovers. That's right. Okay. Now, I want you to think with spiritual mind for a minute. Hear with spiritual ears. Let God, God, help us to see that this is about more than dinner. It is. What is this about? He met their needs. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and they didn't have enough. And he met it anyway. 
He, they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough. They weren't able to take care of their needs. They're just people, and he's God. He takes it upon himself to meet their needs. Couldn't be happier about it. And he made something out of nothing, just like when he made the universe and he rose Jesus from the dead. He, he made it work. He multiplied it. He gave them everything they needed to be well, to be whole. And that, that wasn't all. There was a lot more than the story of the loaves. What else happened in Peter's life? I'm out of, off of my notes. Let me look at where I put it over here. What about, what about the fishing trip? Do you remember the fishing trip at the end of John? Okay, Peter was a fisherman, right? We talked about this. Okay? And we read the scripture a couple of weeks ago. At the end of Peter's, at the end, after Jesus rose from the dead, he still came back and found Peter doing what? Fishing. The same old fishing again. Do you remember what happened in that story? What happened? What did Jesus do? He told them to drop their nets into the water, and there were so many fish they could hardly pull. pull. Right. That's right. And was that about fishing technique? Was the problem that Peter misunderstood the current? And really, the current wasn't on this side of the boat. The right way to fish is that the current's over here. Is that the point of the story? No. It's not the point of the story. What was the point of the story? God will provide. Yes. The point of the story is God absolutely at any given moment forever without any problems or difficulty ever can make anything happen he wants. And the thing he wants is real good. And someday he's going to make it everything exactly right. He will totally meet our needs. There will be complete blessing. If you want fish, hey, you got fish. You're supposed to be able to run with that and think there are other things that he can do too. And people get mad at God. Well, then if you can do it, prove it. If you can do it, why is my life still messed up today? If, you can, if this is really who you are, why aren't you fixing all my problems right now? Right? If he can multiply the fish, how come people are still hungry today? It's a legitimate question. Well, it's one that has answers. But the big point I'm trying to make is he can do it. And he wants us to trust him that he can do it and experience him doing it in a relationship. And he promises ultimately he's going to fix everything. He won't do it right now. But what will he do right now? What is the promise in verse 2b? Let's make it very simple. It's if you're a Christian, he will do it for you some right now. That's the promise. That's the promise from God. It, it, he, it, he's not... Uh, you, I don't know, interact with him. I don't know all the different ways that you need this peace today. I could guess. I could come up with some general theories. I, I don't know all the ways that you need his empowering ability, his grace right now. I don't know. That's between you and him, ultimately. If you want some help, we could talk about it. We could pray about it, certainly at the end. But that's going to invite everybody to come up and pray. Okay? But what I'm saying is it's there. It's either really there or not. We're Christians. So the process where we go from really wondering if it's really there that we can have a sense that things are right even though it's really hard. Back to Peter one more time. This is the guy that's writing this letter 30 years later. And where's he writing it from? We talked about it. It matters. He's writing it from Rome. And why is that a big deal? It's the center of the universe there. It's the center of the cultural universe there. That's right. And he's writing to Christians. Are Christians in the center of the cultural universe there? No. They are a periphery people that are cast aside and nobody cares about. And what's coming down the pipe very shortly after this is the worst persecutions that Christians have ever seen. 
and they are slaughtered. Do, do you guess, I mean, so like the emperor right now is Nero, right? Now it hadn't happened quite yet when the letter's written. It happens shortly after the letter's written. Meaning, to the people that Peter said to trust in these things. Work it through in your heart. Do you know what they used to do? I said this the first uh, sermon I ever preached in our church. Um, one of the things that they used to do to persecute Christians was, well, there was this bad fire in Rome, and the guy in charge, Nero, who was an absolutely crazy, screwed-up guy, uh, but he was a political leader, needed a scapegoat so that he didn't get in trouble for the fires happening, because uh, in politics they felt like he should have prevented the fires, right? So he needed a scapegoat. So the only place in town that really didn't burn down happened to be the poor section where the Christians lived. And so he blamed... Uh, in the culture, they sort of like spread it out there in a rumor, it's the Christians' fault. The Christians did it, right? These new, these new people that never existed before called Christians. And so the net result of that was real persecution. And it became the law to do it, actually. And they used to do things like they would throw parties. They would have like these uh, big orgies and these big parties where everybody would come and they would drink and they would hang out. And they would do them at night and they needed lights. So they would take live Christians and prop them up on a stick and then light them on fire, alive, so that you can have lights for your party. Like that's the kind of things that these, that's the kind of, that's what it meant to be a Christian at that point. You would go through those kind of things. And God is saying, peace to you, blessing to you, grace. So there are situations where people take the blessing of God, your Joel Steen types and others, uh, Joyce Myers and many other people that are on TV, and they basically say that you can have all the blessing of God right now, that that's what it means because you're a son of the king. And it's wrong. It, this is saying that it'll happen in the midst of persecution, that it'll happen at the exact same time that very painful, hard things in your life are happening. And it still means something. So I said all that to say, so, then what does it mean to have peace multiplied to you now? What does it mean? To have an internal serenity? Yeah, I think right now it's mostly internal. And there are times when it's outside, too. Uh, the Lord gave me a house this year. I thought I was going to die and never be a homeowner. It definitely wasn't because I earned it or because I'm smart or rich. It was a gift from God, and I'm thankful. But I think this means mostly internal right now. That's right. That's what it means. That it's going to happen internally, and as it's happening internally, you will know that one day it will happen externally. And that'll mean something to you, too. What is it like to have this peace right now? Do you know what it is? If you don't, that's okay. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe you haven't really felt it. What is this like experientially? Intimacy with God. It has intimacy with God. That's right. And peace is an appropriate word. Paul says elsewhere that we have, uh, before we come to faith in Jesus, enmity with God, war with God. But at, through Jesus, we now have peace. That's right. What else? It goes along with that, but just uh, trust. Um, in your circumstances, so I don't know when something seems like it would be really hard or you wouldn't know how to get through it, you can just have like deeply know that it's going to be okay. You might not understand all the details of how it's going to work out, but you're not really worried because you know the Lord's going to take care of it. Yeah, that's what it means. And to be multiplied is okay. 
he's forgiven me for all my sins. And, and so I, I'm starting to build a life based on that now. Jesus paid it all, and I'm free. So as I'm experiencing God, that peace got fixed. I don't... I have a relationship with God now that no one can take away from me because the only thing that ever could take it away was sin. And in Jesus, I don't have it. Experientially, I still have it, but because I'm forgiven, even for sin I haven't committed yet, we were talking about this again a little bit before the service, I have total forgiveness for all my sin, past, present, future. I'm free. So that is free. So I don't have to earn it from God anymore. So that's, that's free. So all these things that would have gotten in the way, now there's a relationship there. And now, I'm watching him as I'm going through my life, and I'm seeing he's doing this for others too. He's giving them forgiveness too. He's fixing their hearts too. They, they, myself and others are a little bit, in a real way that's limited now, but it's, it's, it's building, it's getting somewhere. We're treating each other less like those kids that uh, freaked me out when I went to school, and more like mom and dad at home uh, for me. There's, there's a little bit more in these Christian relationships, and I experience it. And if you've only been coming to our church for a little while, maybe you haven't tasted it with each other yet, but um, I have this with you guys more than I do with people that are not a part of our church, more than I do with people that don't believe in Jesus. I, I trust you more. I can be less cynical with you. I can open my heart more to you. You're still sinful and screwed up, just like me, but we believe in Jesus. And so the shell can start coming off right? Cynicism is one of the worst ones in our culture. People put up a wall with each other. They don't let other people in. Well, you know, as we were uh, uh, passing out flyers in the parade yesterday, and we were just inviting people to church, what I started doing after a while was I'd, I'd give them the flyer, and I'd say, hey, you know, we're, we're moving, and we'd love for you guys to come join us. And if I was getting the glazed thing a little bit, where you could tell that they were like, just sort of placating me, you know, which is fine. Hey, they didn't punch me. That's great. But, um, I would just go ahead and ask them, just point blank, and I'm a guy that just ran up to them pretty much, you know, like, um, do you think Jesus is a real person who's alive and you can get to know, or do you think this is all made up? And so I asked about 100 people that yesterday. And so it was interesting, because the responses you get are amazing. And, and some people would be like, I do think it's real. And then it opened up their heart, and all of a sudden we had a little moment, and then I'd run off and give them another flyer. Uh, but now other people would uh, just be blown away by that, and that didn't go real well. But then some people, you could see the coldness in their eyes. Anger. They didn't like it. They didn't like me. They didn't want to talk about that. They didn't like that question, right? There's a cynicism, a darkness there, an unwillingness to open up the heart to God and other people. And they poor guys, they live with it all day. I used to live like that. But we can have peace from God. And we can be free of these things. Now, I preached way longer than I thought I was going to. These are big words. But let's bring it home and see what the point of all this is, okay? To have, because this again, this is either real or not. You'll go home and I, Pastor James totally can't do it for you. You, you will enter back into the world that you've got all week. You will either live such that you believe this is true and bank on it and build on it or not. And I can't do it for you. So I'm inviting you to, okay? Live as though there's a, there's a God back here and He loves you and He is offering to you grace, power to be everything you were made to be. Multiplied. There is peace coming from Him to you. Multiplied. Now what do we do with this information? What is verse 3a? So we worship God 
because of what he has given us? Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a relationship here on purpose. It's not a coincidence. It's, there's a reason that it goes in that order. This is what real Christian thankfulness is all about. This is what real praise towards God is all about. The people that are least inclined to go through the motions in worship earlier today, in a few moments, are the and, and uh, that's not me a lot of times. I zone out a lot. I, I, I just feel, I wish I was having more happen right now, and it's not. It's because I'm not remembering His grace to me. It's because I'm not remembering His peace to me. The people that are really able to worship, that can't help it, they want to. It's not work anymore, even though it's commanded. They want to do it. Are the people that remember who He is and what He's done for them. And again, it's very, very specific what it is. This is why it's not just blessed is God. That's not what it says. It says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, none of this stuff is ours. We can't enter into it. Paul, Peter here, he looks at what God is giving to us. And he knows what he's about to say, what's in these next verses. We're going to look at it for weeks. He knows what's there, this great plan to be changed. Heaven the salvation of our souls in the midst of suffering, redemption, being changed, peace with God, grace. He looks at it and he says, all of this, the plan from the beginning was that we can have it through Jesus and no other way. It's not blessed is God in general because a lot of the people have a terrible idea about who God even is. It's this God, this one, the one that comes to us in Jesus and is wonderful. I want us to just praise Him for a minute. I, even if we didn't even have another song or do anything else today, let's just praise Him for a minute. Let's, let's thank Him. What is it really like? It is Thanksgiving week. What do we have to be thankful for? What has He done in our lives? Why don't we just all stand and pray and praise Him? We're going we're to talk to Him together. Think for a moment more. Get something clear in your mind. God, help us to remember why you are so good to us. What's the area where we need help and you're giving it to us? What's the area where we've been so out of whack? We've been so hurt by our relationships or disappointment in life. And you're helping us with that now. What are the areas where we need your help, your power and grace? When something comes to mind, talk to Him, praise Him, bless Him, thank Him out loud. It's Thanksgiving, everybody.
there for each other all the time. Thanks for showing yourself, thank you. 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 Being faithful and true—that's those are my favorite names uh, that the Bible has for you. Um, I needed, and I still need, to know um, that you are faithful to me. That you're never going to leave me. That you're going to love me, and that you're going to have my best interests at heart. Um, even the best people in our lives aren't always that for us. And um, and you are that for me, and I need it, and I just want to thank you for it. Lord, I just want to uh, thank you for the family in Christ that you've given us. Um, sometimes our family that we were born into is not And uh, I just want to thank you for reminding me of what I woke up this morning that I have such great family in you. I just ask that you continue to encourage and help me through every hard thing that I go through. And I need your presence, Lord. And I just ask that you um, make it possible for us to reach out as a church community to other people who do not know you and pull them in and make them part of your family. God, we pray that you would receive our, our sincere, humble praise. Blessed are you, God. There's no one like you. There is, there is no one like you. There isn't anybody else who can do this, God. We, we've looked. We've really hoped that our loved one would be the one that would meet our needs. God, we've really hoped that success or fame or money would meet our needs. We've really hoped they would bring us peace, God. We really hoped that they would bring us the power we need. We were wrong. But you give them to us freely, and you can multiply them. There isn't anybody else like you. You really are blessed. You are the most blessed person we could ever meet. Thanks for choosing us and inviting us into a real relationship with you. Thanks for taking what's rightfully yours and giving it to us with no end and promising us that there's more coming. God, I pray for our church and myself. I pray that we depend upon this endless river of grace when we go into the week. 
Help us to remember it, God. Help us to not let go. Help us to remember You've promised to help us. God, I pray that we experience this inner peace when things are hard, when our relationships are not going well, when we feel alone, when everything's falling apart. Help us to remember You have promised You're going to fix this and You will give us help now. Help us, God. Amen. You know, uh, if you were playing like a, a video game or watching a, a movie where the point of the thing was, uh, this is it, this is my first video game illustration, I've never had one before. If you're you playing a video game and the goal of the video game was to go on a great journey and you were going to go through all kinds of things over the course of a very, very long period of time, a lot of times in a game like that, they'll start you out in a room and the first thing that you get to do when you're in the room is pick your... Weapon. Weapons and your tools to help, right? Let me tell you something, guys. This letter is a journey. What it's going to talk to us about, about how our lives following Christ and what they're really like, dude, it's scary. It's quite a journey in some ways, even though it's really good and worth it. And so Peter started the letter today. God started your week this week by just reminding you the tools that you need to go out into it and win. Go out into it and succeed. What were they? One more time. Grace. Grace and peace. Pick it up. Use it. What a shame to get slayed by the enemy when you had a sword in your backpack the whole time. You didn't bother to pick it up. Use it, okay? It's there for you. He loves you. God's very good at giving gifts. He really wants to give us what we need. And Jesus is the ultimate way that God gives us everything we need. Right here, guys, this is grace to you and peace from God. And Jesus wants us to celebrate that grace and peace. On the night that He was betrayed, He held up the bread and He showed it to everybody and He tore it right in two and He said, this is me. This is my body. I'm giving this to you. You don't deserve it. I want you to have it. Take what I have for you. I couldn't be happier about it. Church, take me. Put me in you. And so too, He held up the cup. He represented His very blood. It's the most precious thing in the universe. most precious thing that God has. God the Father is most blessed because of His Son. He had a great Son. A really, really good Son. A way better Son than I've ever been. To Him or even to my dad. He loved His Son. And He gave up His Son. The most precious thing He has for us. He really loves us. When God the Father looks at you, and slaughters His Son for you, He's saying grace to you and peace. The war's over. I will make this right. You can't fix it. Jesus will fix it. He loves us, guys. He's real. Us. This little church. He really loves us. When you're ready, come and freely just celebrate the good gift that He's given to us. Take. Eat. Celebrate. When you're ready, come.